Kristen. And I'm Keontae. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The, the Crafted, Crafted Podcast. Podcast. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Yes, happy Black History Month. Happy President's Day Month. Hey, mm. President's Day is this month, huh? Uh, Yeah, around the... I don't know. Well, I think President's Day is actually the... Is that the 22nd? Because uh, I know Lincoln's... I think it's like the 16th. Or well, the, that's Lincoln's birthday. But oh. I'm trying to figure out if we observe... I think now, like, they observe Lincoln's birthday as, like, the President's Day, like, for schools. As far as, like, you having the day off. But the actual President's Day... We get day, two days off. Um, The actual President's day. day is, like, the tw- around the 22nd or the 21st or something like that. Okay. So... Yeah, I messed up because when we were um, recording last month, I mean last month, last week, um, we recorded actually before February 1st, like we recorded the episode, but I didn't think that, oh man, Black History Month is starting when the podcast released, so that's why I had to to start off with just, with with welcoming y'all to Black History Month. We're making Black History too, because we're the first... African-American couple to do a podcast. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. Um, okay, we're the first African-American couple named Kristen and Keontae to do a podcast. Oh, okay. We there made we black history. Because there ain't too many Keontae's running around. It's so lame. Well, it's, it's a few of us. Actually, it's a player in the NBA. His name is Keontae, but it's spelled with a Y. Keontae. Shout out to all the Keontae's out there, though. We uh, The we're, Kiki's. We're a scarce group. so how's your week been so far my week has been pretty good we had a at-home date night that was to die for my husband pulled out all the bells and whistles and i'm I'm so funny all the bells and whistles (laughs) it wasn't really in that bells and whistles but it was great he did (laughs) he did like a like a little fork thing and had the snacks popping and so my love tank was full for like two days so, you know, coming off of that, I feel great. We are getting ready to go to New Orleans. I just mm-hmm. got back from Chicago. So my travel bones is going. I just feel pretty good overall. I've been pretty productive. I had a whole list of things I wanted to complete um, before I go to New Orleans. And I just have two kids left to test. And once I complete that, I will have finished my whole list of things that I will be completely and utterly satisfied for sure sounds good so how was your week um my week has been straight um oh man except over the weekend like man i got like sick i got like debilitating debilitating type of sickness and like i just had to stay in bed i could barely move and it was crazy because it was literally the day after you uh went to chicago so man it just wasn't a good time then it started raining and it's been raining ever since. Um, yeah, it was just crazy. But, you know, that was only for like a, it was like a, what, 24-hour bug, maybe like 48-hour bug. Um, I feel much better now. Um, and I've been at work. And, yeah, it's, it's just been straight other than the rain. On Monday when it was raining, I wore my boots. I got like some lug-looking boots. Wore those. Perfect for the rain. And then today <laughs> I got like some black like Chelsea boots that I'd be wearing to work. Found out there's a hole in the bottom of, a bottom of one of them. Like it's a tiny hole too, but I stepped in a puddle big enough to where the water said, well, here's the hole. <laughs> so, but other than that, though, it's been straight. Can't complain. Okay. Yep. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get it started. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off with our random fact of the day. And actually, since it's Black History Month, really what I want to do, instead of actually getting into a random fact, I want to give you one of my favorite uh, figures for Black History Month. And throughout the rest of these podcasts for this month alone, that's what I'm going to be doing, is giving you um, one of my favorite figures. More than likely, somebody you probably never heard of, or if you have, it's just probably somebody you just rarely think of. Okay. So today, today's Black History figure is actually Vivian Thomas. Um, Please vi- don't read the whole message. I'm just going to die if you read the message. I'm not going to read the whole okay. thing. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just going to... My ears is just going to run away. Please um, give us the cliff so notes. So Vivian Thomas is known for creating the actual surgical procedure to correct what is known as blue baby syndrome. And what Blue Baby Syndrome was, back in the day, like, a lot of babies that were born, um, something was going on with, like, pretty much the system in their hearts, like, with their aorta and something like that, to where instead of pumping out oxygenated blood, the blood would be deoxygenated or whatnot. And, of course, since the blood, the body extremities aren't getting the oxygenated blood, the babies would turn blue because they don't have any oxygen. That's crazy. And then the babies were passing away. Um, but you know, this was way back in like the forties. So our forties and fifties. So, um, he wasn't really supposed to be like, you know, we were still in the segregated land. Black people didn't really have high positions, like working in, you know, um, hospitals like prestigious hospitals, like Vanderbilt and Johns Hopkins and stuff like that. Um, but you know, um, a white doctor who names is, is, is Blaylock, who's like the father of like open heart surgery and stuff like that, or cardiac, um, surgery. He took him on as like a, a lab tech, um, but saw potential in him and eventually led to him figuring out this procedure and actually teaching Dr. Blaylock how to, how to do the procedure. The first time it was performed, he was standing over his shoulder in the surgical room. And like the other surgeons were just like, so heated that a black person was in the room. You know what I mean? Coaching, you know, white doctor on how to do a procedure, but figured it out. That's pretty cool. That's dope. Um, yeah, I remember like the first time I ever even learned about him was um, through Most Deaf, actually. Well, well, formerly known as Most Deaf. His name is Yasin Bay now. Um, but it, there was a movie that came on HBO called Something the Lord Made, and Most Deaf was portraying him. Bruh, and it's like, it has been like really low key, like one of my favorite movies um since i've seen it and like i was just so fascinated by that story um i don't know if it was gabrielle union's like first acting role or one of her firsts it was a long time ago but i remember her being in the movie too she played his wife (laughs) and if you've never seen that movie you should definitely check it out um just to check out the story it's an amazing story but yeah, that's that's what he's famously known for. But also too, he's famously known for creating other procedures, um, like you know when we think of like uh, hemorrhagic shock and things of that nature. Like he figured out the procedures to deal with all of that stuff. So it's an incredible story. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, again, his name is Vivian Thomas. Vivian, that's yeah. an interesting name for a man too. Yeah, yeah, V is spelled V-I-V-I-E-N. So it's not even like a regular Vivian that you would even, you know. I wonder how his about. mom came up with that name. That's interesting. Um, they, they, they explain it in the movie. I forgot exactly. I don't know it offhand, but it's explained in the movie. So you guys Maybe should definitely watch the movie. Maybe that was his Grammy's name. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But all right, so let's go ahead and move on to our let's get deep question of the day. Today's question is, oh, actually, I was going to ask you before before I move on to that. Um, give me one of your favorite black history figures. One of my favorite black history and, and figures why? is my mom, because she was the first black assistant nurse manager at UCLA Medical Center. Mm-hmm. And why is because she's my mom and... You know, it helps me to strive for greatness, and it helps me to try to be, you know, achieving things. And my dad was the first um, SWAT team leader, black SWAT team leader in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he was. I think that's what he said, something like that. But anyways, I just think that my parents are just truly great role models, and despite the backgrounds that they came from, they came together to really try to give us the best life that they can. So those are my favorite black history figures. It's pretty dope. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our let's get deep question of the day is what is the most heartwarming thing you've ever seen? The most heartwarming thing I've ever seen is my children getting born. You seen that? <laughs> yeah. In the mirror. <laughs> I had a mirror looking while I was giving birth. Oh, you wasn't, and you wasn't closing your eyes videos. and you was pushing? No. Oh. And I saw the videos. Okay, heartwarming. And so that's heartwarming because I love my babies. and That was very eye-opening for me. I'm rolling. <laughs> that was crazy. Hey, you know Especially I have... the first time. That first baby coming out, I said, oh, man, I ain't never seen nothing like this. I always say, I'm rolling. <laughs> and now I have my principal at my school saying that, and I have the kids that I test saying that. Hmm. But, yeah, so anyways, yeah, that was that was very heartwarming for me, honestly. Okay. How about um, you? For me, man, is I always recall this story. Like it always pops up on my Facebook memories, and I always catch it. Like the day that it happened, so I can always repost it. It's funny like that. But um, a while ago, I was working in Moreno Valley, and I was driving down the street, and literally, like I came to a red light. I just happened to look over. I seen this car like driving down the street. You seen or you saw? I saw this car drive up on the sh- drive up driving down the street pull into like this park area where this homeless person was like walking stopped hopped out the car took the shoes off of his own feet gave his shoes to the homeless person put it put his hand on the shoulder said a couple words to him or whatnot got back in his car and just drove off and all this happened in under a literally under a minute and I just think about that story like so much because I think when I was driving, like, I don't know, something was going on in life for me where I just felt was feeling like, man, life is hard or life is tough. And I just happened to look over and watch this unfold in under a minute. And it really just changed my thinking of like, man, like, you know, we get in, we sometimes we get into our own ruts and get into our own spaces and just think like, ah, oh, stuff's not working out. Or, you know, we get into like thinking about our age, like, oh man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm almost 30. I'm in my, you know, I've been in my twenties for 10 years. I'm almost 30 and I still haven't gotten where I need to be. And man, we just don't realize like how much time we have and how precious time is and how much, you know, we could just change either our world or somebody else's world with just 60 seconds, you know? And we just get so down on ourselves thinking about time and this this invisible clicking uh clock in our in our in our heads. Um and we just really get in our own heads about ourselves. But man, there's just there's just so many blessings that we can find in sixty seconds and just every second that we're breathing and all this time that we have. So 
man, just make the best of it. Make the most of it. But that's probably the most heartwarming thing I've ever seen because, man, it's it's just stuck with me ever since I've ever since I witnessed it. So okay, I enjoyed that TED talk. Um, I enjoyed that very much. So. All right, so anything else before we switch into our forever segment? Mm-mm. Okay, so I'm going to start with the question. What comes to your mind when you hear quarrelsome? Just people that just like to fight. Okay. Like just, you know, people that just like, you get like you got to really, you got to word for everything. Like if I say something, you just got to oppose it. Like you just want to just debate. You just... You just got something to say about everything, don't you? Type okay. of person. And so what do you what comes to your mind when you think of nagging? Kind of in the same in the same you know, in the same breath. It's just a person like like bro, you you just can't hold your tongue, like or you can't you can't just wait for another time to just to bring up something, you know? Say hi to me first or be like, you know, I don't know. Say something good to me first before you start pointing out what I need to do or what I didn't do or how I should do something. You know, I feel like that's that's what nagging is. Okay, that's good. That's good. So nagging is really persistent and repetitive criticism. So Mm -hmm. persistent means repeatedly over and over again, repetitive, repeatedly, same thing. And it's usually directed at a partner, a spouse, something like that, maybe a child, and all of those things. And so, you know, really it's just repeatedly asking or reminding someone to do something. And it could be, like, perceived as annoying or intrusive. And then quarrelsome is the tendency to engage in arguments. So a simple word for that is argumentative. And it just is a person who's actively seeking to, like, provoke a disagreement or provoke a fight, you know? Mm-hmm. over something minor and so i think a lot of people might think of quarrelsome and nagging as the same thing but it's not the same thing so quarrelsome is picking fights and and nagging is persistent harassing do you did that um does that make sense yeah okay so today since i'm always bashing the he-mans and bashing the men out there i figure it's not that we're gonna bash women but we're gonna talk I mean, not even just women, but we're going to talk about being quarrelsome and nagging. So, there are two scriptures that this is based on. Proverbs 21.19 and Proverbs 27.15. And one of them is, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. (laughs) And the other one is, a quarrelsome wife is as as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands. Mm. And so when you hear that, that is like really wild. Like, dang, trying to stop the wind. First of all, you can't stop the wind. So let's yeah, start so with that. It's impossible. And a constant dripping means that, you know, she's nonstop. It's so persistent. And so the type of people that are typically quarrelsome and nagging are usually anxiously attached people. And it's just anxious people who require that reassurance or that attention. And so um, a person might be critical or controlling or insecure. They could be demanding. Um, Also, they could have a fear of abandonment. 
And usually when you're quarrelsome and nagging, it's because you have poor communication skills and you also have difficulty managing your emotions as well, as well as a lack of empathy because you're always, you know, thinking of yourself instead of thinking of other people. And so what do you think about that? Um, I mean, if this, if the signs is pointing to it, I mean, it makes sense. Um, in my, in my opinion, um, it matches up. So, and so those definitions of quarrelsome and nagging that those, that those match with what you thought or it's a little different. No, no, I feel like, I feel like they match with what I think, what I thought. And I feel like they kind of go hand in hand. I feel like, I feel like most people who are kind of nagging, they're usually quarrelsome as well. Yeah. I guess that I feel like, you know, they're. Or is it nag nagging? What what's the word to be in the act of nagging? Nagging. <laughs> well, a person that is nagging. Yes. So you can. So you're nagging me, but you you're you're you are nagging, like because you can get into a quarrel with somebody, but then you can just be quarrelsome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ruined. So um, <laughs> that's funny, but yeah. So nagging and quarrelsome does go together. It's kind of like um, anxiety and depression go together. They don't have to go together, but they usually are found together. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a person that nags all the time is like a type of person that has to instruct somebody every step of the way. So you feel like you have to correct your actions and correct their actions. And a lot of wives do this because, especially, especially in parenting, because we feel like, you know, we have to micromanage their behavior or how they, um, work with our children because we feel like, you know, maybe our way is the better way or the best way. And it doesn't mean that you can't necessarily correct, but it's like the overcorrection where it's a problem, you know, and it can create a sense of tension, you know. And also another thing we do is as women or as a woman who is nagging or quarrelsome is basically you think you do everything right and you focus on what a person is doing wrong. And so that leads to your spouse feeling criticized, judged, and it helps the it it causes them to also be defensive and maybe even creates a sense of resentment. And mm. so not only that, but subconsciously the person could start to feel inferior or inadequate when you know you are having to control them and and having to uh tell them what to do and then another way you know that you're quarrelsome or nagging is if you feel like a parent so you feel like you take on the parental role you have to monitor you have to guide and correct and and you know all those things and it leads to like a a sense of inequality in the relationship and so one person can feel unappreciated and undervalued and um that's usually you know the wife who thinks that she's the mother in the relationship and she feels like she's mothering you know her husband and then also it creates a lack of intimacy because you feel like a mom, you can't, you know, you're not sexually attracted to someone you're parenting. You know what I mean? And so it can create a toxic atmosphere in that situation. I mean, in that, um, in that regard, basically, because intimacy requires trust. It requires vulnerability. It requires that mutual respect and things like that. So did you want to add anything to that? 
I mean, that all of that makes complete sense. Like, you know, I think that, um, yeah, like I think that if you're if you've been in the marriage long enough, um, I think you kind of run into that, you know, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it, it, it definitely fits the bill. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, especially in my younger years, I was more nagging. I can still have um, some tendencies at times, especially in regard to control, because I do like things the way I like them. However, I've become much more effective at communicating. And so, you know, it's, it's, I'm also going to go into how what you're communicating can be misconstrued as nagging and how you can approach that as a wife as well. Because especially if you've been quarrelsome or nagging in the past, that it might make your partner hyper defensive to correction and hyper defensive to the things that you have to say. But I will cover that as well in this um, segment. But yeah, I think it's a lot of interesting stuff, you know. And so how we combat nagging is number one, learn to say, okay, I have, I have been great at that. Listen, I'm the okay queen at this point. I'd be like, okay. And so that's great to diffuse tension. And it shows that really you've heard what they've said and you're not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing, but it can break the cycle of arguing and defensiveness as well. You have to learn how to communicate without inciting a fight. And so you got to really practice active listening empathy and express your feelings without like blaming them you know you got to use mm-hmm. i statements and communicate how behaviors make you feel instead of really accusing your spouse and then on top of that you got to let them learn for themselves like you know wives i feel like women sometimes have foresight i feel like god made us for man And he literally said, like, oh, it is not good for man to be alone. And so um, I think that God gave us to men so we could really help them. We could build them up. We could encourage them and all of those things. However, sometimes men want to be hard-headed. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They want to do things their own. Just like you do, though. Everybody wants to do things on their own. And so at the end of the day, though, you have to allow your spouse to make their own mistakes, like, and their own decisions. And so you just have to really curtail that correcting and that micromanaging because it does lead to resentment and sense of inadequacy. And um, that especially reigns true for me because I know I do have the tendency to like be like, do this, do that, do that. Oh, you should do this. Especially when it comes to parenting as a school psychologist, it's really hard for me to like back down and not overcorrect. And so that's something that I have to manage Mm -hmm. in myself. And so, you know, I might not be the quarrelsome wife that I once was where I'm picking fights all the time for no reason. However, there's always areas where I could um, better improve as well. And so, anyways, you have to let men learn for themselves. You could pray that God changes their heart. Listen, my prayers are always, you know, I always pray for my marriage. I always pray for my husband. I pray that um, God uses him for what he wants to use him for. And God makes him the man that he wants him to be. And so that is my forever prayer because, you know, I feel like nobody could change you, change a person like God could change a person at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then don't get gaslit. Because, like I said, um, if you've nagged in the past, then it's easy to get gaslit into, 
oh, you're being nagging. Oh, you're always correcting me. And so asking a person twice to do something is not nagging at the end of the day. So you have to remember to trust your instincts, assert your boundaries, and don't allow um, your concerns to be dismissed or made to feel like you're overreacting. So it's also important to stand firm in your perspective. And then, rec- but you have to have that self awareness to recognize when your requests are reasonable. And you have to be able to assert yourself respectfully. So, I mean, I need to repeat that again for those in the back. Assert yourself respectfully. Not assert yourself, just assert yourself, but respectfully. So a lot of people can assert themselves, but they ain't respectful. So, you know, you have to remember that. So another thing is you could also do it yourself. I'm also the queen of that. Nothing makes a man want to do what you ask them to do than you doing it yourself. Men hate that for some reason. But, you know, if you don't want to be nagging and you've asked somebody like twice already, then at some point you could just do it yourself. You could hire somebody to do it. The second time you could be like, hey, you know, I asked you to do this, babe. I don't know if you have time you know, but I really need this done, you know, and that kind of thing. But you could, um, you know, if they don't do it, then hire somebody. You could hire somebody. You could do it yourself. You could find alternative solutions because sometimes it's really unnecessary to have conflict over things that are minor and tasks that could be handled mm-hmm. from someone else. And I think that'll make a lot of men un- uncomfortable because, you know, they want to do it and they want all that you know, they want to do it themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. However, at the end of the day, especially if you're a go-getter or you have somebody that, um, you know, may take their time or procrastinate or things like that or not listen to what you've asked them to do, then at the end of the day, you'll have to probably do that a lot. But most men are going to be like, oh, no. Okay, one time of that, and they're going to be like, oh, let me get on it, because I don't want her... They don't like anybody else doing the thing that they're supposed to do, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, I'll throw an idea out there, especially specifically on that one. Uh-huh. I mean, because you're right. Like, men men want to handle something that they get asked to do. But oftentimes, like, most men, men be forgetful, or men just... That's true. They procrastinate. But I would say the good idea, instead of just asking them once... And then if it takes them three or four days to get around to it, and they and haven't ask gotten around, twice. or ask them twice, three times is a nag. <laughs> if you just have, if you have to ask them a bunch of times, and like it's been three or four days and they haven't gotten around to it, and then you just do it or you hire somebody to do it, I would say the good idea to start with is that you ask them to do something, and then if you think that they're gonna, you know, if you have a if they have a record of kind of procrastinating, not doing something, give them a deadline. Be like, hey, babe, do you think you could take the trash out by tomorrow? Oh, I like that. You know? That's smart So that way you put, a, you, know, you put a time cap on it. Because if you just say, hey, babe, you think you take the trash out? Me as a husband, I might say, yeah, I'll get around to it. But then, I don't know, the battery on the car goes out. Now I got to drive to Costco and go get a new battery tonight or something like that. When I come back home, me taking the trash ain't the top of my list anymore. You know? So then I might forget about it. Then you ask me again tomorrow... And now a kid had a poop explosion and I got to clean that up or something. You know what I mean? So if you give a deadline, though, now I got something I can look at or now I got something I can put in my phone like, oh, I need to change the brakes by Saturday. I like that, babe. So, yeah, that's really good. And I'm going to take a page from your book because I don't typically give a deadline. And I didn't realize, you know, that that. I mean, that just makes so much sense. I love deadlines personally. So why wouldn't you, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of? 
And so I think that that's really helpful. And that's even helpful for me in the future because, I mean, most of the stuff that I ask you to do, you, you typically do. It's sometimes you don't and I'll do it myself or something like that. But 99% of the time, you typically do the things I ask you. But in the future, you know, I'm going to remember that and to give a deadline because I like that. Um, okay, so then you also want to set clear expectations. And, you know, if you don't, if they don't know what you're expecting, then how can they live up yeah. to your expectations? So, you know, for instance, if you want them to take part in the household chores and you could say hey you know we both need to take part in these chores what are some this is what i could do what are some things you could do blah 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 that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so but if you don't have any expectations then you know they're never gonna or if you don't communicate your expectations then they're never gonna live up to them so the next one is express appreciation I don't know why these words have been whooping me in the last podcast. Expressed. <laughs> you're so, you're the worst. Anyways, express appreciation. And so what you're going to want to do is just acknowledge your partner's efforts. Like, you know, we often forget. We just ask, ask, ask all day, and then we don't acknowledge nothing. And I don't know if that's necessarily true for women towards men, because I feel like we tend to express appreciation a little bit more. But men specifically, I know this is the woman hating segment or the woman <laughs> targeting segment. But, you know, <clears throat> Dang, that I, woman hating. I know I feel like men struggle with that a little bit because, you know, if a man makes dinner, oh my God, babe, thank you for making dinner. If a man picks up your kids, oh my gosh, babe, thank you for doing this. If a man, you know, gets the kids dressed instead of you, oh my God, babe. And so, you know, oftentimes women, we have a thankless job and we don't get thanked as much, you know, when we make dinner or when we do the little things. But, you know, we should both be expressing appreciation to each other. And then last but not least, if you cannot figure out how to communicate and set expectations and all these things and communicate your needs without being quarrelsome or nagging, then you probably need to go and see a therapist. Mm -hmm. You do. And, you know, it just will help you in your marriage. It'll help your husband in your marriage and all of those things. So if you're gaslit, then what you need to do is stay calm and composed. Stick to your truth. Set your boundaries, reaffirm your intentions, offer a break, and prioritize your self-care. Because, you know, all you have to do is just really, really express what you need to express calmly. And if they're not hearing it and they're trying to gaslight you, then just, you know, say, okay, walk away, take a break. But say, you know, I don't agree with what you're saying. However, this is what I stated and you know, that's it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to back down. You don't have to cry. You don't have to do all those things. And so to end this segment, I wanted to do like an example of, um, what you do. And so like, let's say you have in the marriage an issue of a lack of quality time. Yeah. And so what you can do in a negative way is you could be like, we never spend any time together. I just can't stand it. Like, I'm just so upset. I just, like, you don't even like me no more. 
when are you going to spend some time with me? Like, I'm always planning everything. Mm-hmm. You can do all that. You you know, and we've, mm-hmm. we've mostly probably all been there. And you could just make it a big old issue. Your husband's going to get defensive. And then, you know, you don't get what you need. But what you need to do is express your feelings. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about something that's <clears throat> been on my mind. Boom. He tells you, okay, what's good? What's on your mind? I noticed that we haven't been spending enough quality time. So you don't say, oh, you haven't been spending time with me. You haven't planned any dates. I noticed that we haven't been spending as much quality time. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) It was the eyes and the weeds that took you out. But yeah, so you know, it, it really does matter. Because people do... I, we... (laughs) You're so funny. But, you know, just think about the times that we've done that, you know, in our relationship, especially earlier. Even now, you know, you you seem like you in a bad mood. Yeah. You you, uh, have an attitude... You're feeling a little. What, what's the one you say? There's one you call me. Uh, yeah. ain't, ain't not anxious. It's uh, <clears throat> um, jumpy or something. Some word you use towards me that irks Antsy. my nerves. Antsy. Oh my gosh, that pisses me off every time. You. Antsy is just short for anxious, though. I hate. I don't know. I don't like it. You're. You're. You. You'll be like, oh, you're a little antsy. Have you been antsy? So instead. I noticed that we have not been spending enough quality time as later. I noticed that we have been in a negative mood lately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have been in a negative mood. Because I've been positive. No, not necessarily. <laughs> I've been but in any- a positive mood. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, anyways, so then after that, you acknowledge the situation. I understand that we both have busy schedules. Even if if I'm anxious, I understand that we both have hectic lives at work and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Share your needs. I really miss our moments together because that's the root of the issue. I really want quality time with you. I really want us to have positive interactions with each other. Offer a solution. Maybe we can take turns planning a date night or take a walk in the park this weekend. That kind of thing. And you know, it's so funny. This is how our date nights came about. Because I literally did this, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) At one point. And then you emphasize the importance. I just want us to prioritize our relationship and make sure we're nurturing it. And then you seek input. What do you think? And so that's how you really communicate without it becoming a huge issue. And, you know, without nagging and being quarrelsome. And if they gaslight you, then remember, stay calm and composed, stick to the truth, set your boundaries, reaffirm your intentions, offer a break, and prioritize your self-care. So, you know, that's really it. Anything else you want to say, husband? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a, I'm going to try to do a, I'm going to do a two-minute drill. I'm going to try to do all this under two minutes, but I'm going to okay. give like a man's perspective for, for it. Okay. I don't have a man's perspective, but I'm going to kind of go at the men a little bit. Um, So here we go. Um, You got to really pay attention to your partner because sometimes we will take like, oh, she's nagging or she's just, she's just so moody. You know what I mean? And she's always doing this because it's something that's recurring. Sometimes you got to check she might be it might be her time of the month 
I'm you know rolling. what I mean? No, I mean this is serious because <laughs> during your menstrual cycle, like your hormones change, you have mood swings and things of that nature. So you as a man, don't take everything so personal. You know what I mean? Even if it does seem naggy, you you gotta kind of look at those type of factors. Or a, she could probably just have a had a hard time at work. Like, have you even spent time with her? Even ask her, how's your day been so far? She might have had a busy day. The kids might have have been busy all day. Um, so you got to really kind of, you know, assess the scene. Um, I used to be, a, I was an MT for all of like six months. <laughs> and the first thing that we, that they always emphasize when I was going through this class and doing the training is whatever you do before you do anything, assess the scene, assess the scene, assess the scene. So assessing the scene, you want to look to your wife or look to your spouse and see what exactly is going on around them that might be making them you know, have this naggy mood or have this quarrelsome type of mood. You know what I mean? And you don't want to just continue to add fire to the, you know, to the mix. You want to be the water. You know what I mean? You want to be the safe space for her. So even if she is feeling antsy or, or anxious, we're going to say, I'm going to just say anxious from now on and not, and not shorten it. You know, even <laughs> if she is feeling anxious, try to be her calm. Try to see exactly what's going on with her and just understand that nothing is personal. Because really, to be quite honest, at the end of the day, whatever she's nagging about, whatever y'all getting into a quarrelsome event about, it ain't divorce worthy. So just buckle down, work it out, and y'all going to get through it. Yes. That's my two-minute warning. I love that, husband. That was great. That was really great. And I love that you mentioned that because it is really important to keep each other's perspectives and think about the background um, things, the things that are going underneath, you know, everything. Because all you're seeing is the top of the iceberg, but you don't see all of the bottom of the iceberg and everything that's going on underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. So I do like that a lot. Okay, so let's switch into Roots and Bloom, our parenting segment. So today we're going to be talking about something that maybe you've never heard of. I don't know. You are like an encyclopedia and you know a lot of things. I'm a Britannica. My, my, kids, my kids actually think that you're like a super genius because they <laughs> literally think you know everything. <laughs> they, asked and, me, they asked me if I knew a word in Japanese today. Yeah. <laughs> what? They think you know everything and I think it's so funny and partially I'm to blame for that. Well, partially you're to blame because you're always spitting facts and stuff mm -hmm. and you do know a lot of random things. But also, I'm partially to blame for that because oftentimes they ask me questions and I do not want to answer. So you know what I say? Ask, Ask your dad. dad. He knows everything. <laughs> and so they would be like, they literally tell me in the car, dad is so smart. Dad knows. <laughs> and it cracks mm -hmm. me up because you are very smart and they literally think you're like uh, Jimmy, Jimmy. Was Jimmy Neutron the smart one? Yeah. Jimmy Neutron or Dexter. And so, from Dexter's Laboratory, not the serial killer. Even though, the ser <laughs> killer even though he was too. smart, too, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyways, the question is, do you know what a mirror... How do you say mirror? Mirror. Mirror. Like mirror? Like M-I-R-R-O-R? -R -R? Yeah, how do you say that? Mirror. Mirror. Do you say... Do you pronounce the last R? Yeah, you say mirror. 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 That's odd. That's odd. I've never thought about that until now. I'm gonna have to say what? it a hundred times. I'm gonna say mirror. <laughs> say listen. mirror. Okay, hold on. Say mirror five times fast. Mirror, 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 mirror. No, you just saying. You just saying M E E R. Yeah, that's exactly how I'm gonna pronounce mirror, it. Mirror, 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 mirror. 
I'm rolling. Okay, so do it's, you know? I'm saying M I R M I M I R A. Mira, you're saying Mira. Yeah. Okay. Go go to your question. Okay. Do you know what a mirror neuron is? A mirror neuron? Yes. It's just a neuron that it's like a twin neuron, right? Something that's reflective. But like, in what way? And characteristics? I don't know. Okay. That's cool. So mirror neurons are basically a neuron in your brain and they fire when a person performs an action and when you observe someone else performing that same action. Hmm. So basically like when you perform an action such as like picking up an object in the brain, the it fires and it sends electrical signals. Mm-hmm. And then when you observe someone else, such as your child doing that, then your brain fires again as if you were performing the action yourself. And so it's like without any conscious effort or intention. And then the neurons create basically a connection in your brain and the observed action or behavior. And then it allows you to understand and empathize with what that person's experiences are. Mm -hmm. That's really complicated, right? Yeah. So a short way to explain that that is it's like a brain's copycat. They fire when you do something. And when you watch someone else do the same thing, it helps you understand and mimic other people's actions and emotions. Uh That makes sense. Yeah. Kinda, right? Mm-hmm. So some examples are like your your kid smiles when you smile. Mm-hmm. Or like if you just look at somebody and smile <laughs> or laugh, then they'll probably start smiling or laugh. Um, husbands and wives typically like if you're holding your hand a certain way, they might do the same thing. And so it just is like when people copy each other. Also, it's like, you know, if you teach your child how to tie shoelaces and then you see them tie the shoelaces or you learn by observing somebody do something else or when you see somebody cry and you feel that emotion in you uh-huh. and you want to cry. So it's like that. And also, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that different examples, but it goes all the way from the playground to the office to all the things, but it helps you to connect with others and it shapes your social interactions, basically. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's some negative ways that your children can copy your interactions and some negative things that have to do with mirror neurons. Mm. So we talked about um, adverse childhood experiences. And so if a child witnesses like aggressive behavior, like hitting or yelling, then they start to imitate that when they feel frustrated or angry. And so you might see a child that grows into an adult and they mimic those same behaviors because their brains copied that information from when they were children Hmm. so if they see somebody lying or cheating then they observe that and they start doing that kind of thing witnessing bullying behavior they start to internalize that that's why they say like every bully was bullied and so you know or you might see a kid that was made fun of a couple times then they start doing it and so it kind of perpetuates that cycle of aggression and that harm within um you know yeah childhood and and within those 
peer groups. Another thing is like when we struggle to emotionally regulate as adults and, you know, we might lose our temper with our kids or yell at our children or anything like that. And we don't apologize and things like that. Then kids begin to have difficulty regulating their own emotions and so you might notice too, when I ever, I lose it with my kids, I always, always, always apologize. I'm always explaining, you know, I'm still learning how to work, um, through my emotions. And so it's because kids are little people at the end of the day. Yeah, they, they are. truly are. And so we really have to work with them and explain to them that, you know, mommy is not perfect. Daddy is not perfect. This is why. You know, sometimes I get a little upset. Sometimes <clears throat> I need to take a deep breath. But it helps kids to learn how to, number one, emotionally regulate. Number two, when they lose that emotional regulation, it helps them to apologize and feel that empathy. And so one thing I've noticed about our kids is they're very empathetic. Even if they act a fool for a couple of seconds, they always come back to apologize. They always come back if they hurt if we hurt their, or if they hurt somebody else's feelings. And so, you know, I think that that's really important and it, and it does show that the mirror neurons are working in a positive manner with our children. Mm. And so anything you want to say? Uh, it's good, man. And it, and it actually, it brings me to like an example, just a short example. I listened to this podcast. Well, yeah, it's a podcast it's called the pivot podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a bunch of ex athletes <clears throat> and they bring on like other athletes or they just bring on just people in general. But there is one episode that just aired like not too long ago with an ex ride receiver named Des Bryant. And he was kind of talking almost in the realm of this, just to summarize exactly what he said, because I'm not going to say it for verbatim because I, I didn't have it right, written down. I didn't know you were going to ask this, but this just came into my mind. But pretty much he was talking about himself, like now trying to be a good father um, uh-huh. and, you know, not mirror the things that he was or how he was raised, you know, from just his like, you know, traumatic childhood or whatnot. You know, some of the stuff was just he was just saying, like, you know, don't yell at your kids, you know, before they go to sleep. Because how, how are you going to yell at your kids before they go to bed and expect them to sleep good? You right. know, don't yell at your kids in the morning and, you know, when they're getting ready for school. How are you going to expect them to have a good day at school when you just yelled at them the last time you saw them? You know, you set the tone for your kids. You know, I mean, you're going to be that when people say, I hear the voice in my head for your kids, you're that voice in their head. So yeah. you got to continue to build them up. You got to speak, you know, life into them. Because that's what they're gonna. That's what's gonna come into their head. That's what they're gonna think about. How successful they're gonna be, and the things that they're gonna carry out. It all depends on how you move in front of them. Yeah. Um. That's what they're gonna mirror. So. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. You spitting. You spitting facts today. I love that. So basically, to wrap it all up, is that like adverse childhood experiences like abuse or neglect or any, you know, anything negative that could happen to a child really disrupt how their mirror neurons grow. And it's like making it, it's essentially like fogging up the mirror. It mm-hmm. makes it harder for them to understand. It makes it harder for them to connect with others. It also makes it hard for them to control their emotions. And so how to control their emotions gets foggy as well. And so in the mirror in your brain, it's like it fogs up as well. And so they struggle to see and understand other people's emotions and see and understand their own emotions. 
And then it also makes it difficult to make friends and learn others because you're losing those social interactions. You're losing how to appropriately interact socially with, you know, others and empathize and understand. And so they might find it harder to make friends and instead they imitate the negative actions. And then when they react to scary things, there might be some overreactions or they might not even react at all because it makes it tricky for their brain to feel on how they're supposed to react or Mm -hmm. how they're supposed to protect themselves. And so, you know, I think that it's really an interesting topic. The brain is interesting in and of itself. And so it's just a reminder really to, to, to treat your kids with respect, to love your kids, to, model appropriate things to teach them to understand and empathize but not only just talking it's just in that action and the modeling and so every day we have to realize on every interaction with our child and how important it is and how much that matters Mm -hmm. and so you know as a psychologist it's pretty much easier for me in some senses um, and some days it's a little easier for me. And then other days, you know, I, I fail and have difficulty like other people, but what makes me different and separates me from others is that I come back and I apologize. I admit to my children, you know, and I'm always trying to be better. That's good stuff. Great segment. Alrighty. All right. So let's get into the lifestyle segment um man i feel like for the past three episodes i always try to switch it up like i just try to talk kind of like low-key about pop culture but i mean i guess music is pop culture um so today i'm going to talk about my favorite thing in the world which is music again um but this this time i'm doing a grammy recap so this is going to be a short recap but just some of the most important things that i saw so i'm going to split them into three sections i'm going to split it up into what they got right Okay. Um, then the middle section is going to be my interlude, you know, just something that happened like in between the Grammys. Okay. And then the last one is going to be what I feel they got wrong. <laughs> so now you didn't watch the Grammys, right? No. You probably didn't. Don't, you I you never probably even Grammys. heard anything about when the Grammys. I, when I, wa- I watched the Grammys the last time at like 10. <clears throat> at 10? 10 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And see, the funny thing about the Grammys oh, is. Oh, no, wait. Was it at the Grammys where he slapped? That was the Oscars. That was the Oscars, yeah. Okay. Um, the funny thing about the Grammys is, like, when the Grammys always come around, everybody gets disappointed. They always get disappointed. Even me. Because I remember one, I remember I vowed to never watch the Grammys again back in 2000, what was it, 2008, when Kanye West didn't win Album of the Year uh, for graduation. He lost to Herbie Hancock, right? And I was just, so I was like, bro, I ain't watching the Grammys anymore. But see, this is back in 2008. I was only 18. Um, even though I knew a lot of, about music, um, I I knew really nothing about Herbie Hancock. Well, I thought I knew nothing about Herbie Hancock. So after after that happened, I said, I'm not going to watch the Grammys anymore. But I was curious to see who Herbie Hancock was. Bro, I went back and did my research on Herbie Hancock, and I've heard certain things that he's actually created, like jazz and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, oh, this is who he lost to. you know. And then ever since then, I've just continued to watch, and there's always been disappointments. But I want to speak about what they got right. And so this year, I'll say number one, the number one thing they got right 
was having Luke Combs perform Fast Car, which is a cover of Tracy Chapman's 1989 song, Fast Car. And not only did they have him perform, but he actually got Tracy Chapman to come and perform with him on stage, which was just a beautiful moment. Um, If you guys never heard Fast Car, I implore you to go listen to it. Tracy Chapman's version first, and then Luke Combs, if you want to listen to see what they both sound like. Okay. But um, I was talking to you, and it's funny because I was talking to you about this song, Oh What Not. Um, because Josie was listening. Yeah, right? because Josie went. Yeah, Josie was listening to it. Man, Josie is definitely my music baby. I played it for her one one day, and she understood the chorus and like is singing like parts of the chorus, and she remembers it. She knows like when the certain part is coming up. It's it's kind of crazy, but anyway, this song "Fast Car," bro. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, but it's just one of them songs that just. It pulls like emotions out of you, and it's kind of a simple song, it's a simple story. But bruh, she was in her bag when she wrote it, and I that think was a girl who wrote it. Yeah, Chasey Chapman Chasey is a black woman. I don't know why I thought it was a man. <clears throat> no, so Luke Combs is the man. Oh, Luke Combs. Luke. They was both men. Yeah, yeah. So Tracy Chapman wrote this song way back in the eighties. It became a popular song. She actually won three Grammys from it, or whatnot. Um, but 30 years later, Luke Combs, he re-records it with her blessing, of course, re-records it. And, you know, now this generation is finding out about this song from him. And, you know, people are just, they're, they're, they're loving it. What we actually brought to the forefront is la- earlier, well, not la- earlier this year, but last year, the Country Music Awards happened. And that song got nominated for the best country song for that year, which it ended up winning. But since it ended up winning, Tracy Chapman is the writer. She actually won the award, so she's the first black woman to win the best, you know, the uh, best song for the for the country awards or whatnot. But yeah, it's just it's just bringing a new generation to come to know it. So I just thought that that was a beautiful moment um, seeing because nowadays, thirty years later, she rarely does interviews. She rarely does performances anymore. So to see her just come out of nowhere and she still looked good, she still looked young young you know it it was just a great moment other than that though my other favorite moments the three people that i was really rooting for was killer mike killer mike swept all of his categories he's a rapper he won best rap album um and a couple other rap grammys victoria monet who i've been loving since ever since i first heard of first my first song from her she won her first row of grammy she run through grammys as well SZA won a couple Grammys this year. Lil Durk. Lil Durk got his first Grammy um, for a song that he did with J. Cole, which is an interesting story behind that song because he held, he had that song for a minute, but never released it because he'd always said that he was holding on to it until J. Cole could get on it because he knew how big the song could be. And so he got J. Cole's verse on it. He changed the chorus a little bit. There's there's kids singing in the background of the chorus. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, he was right about it because now that that song won him his first Grammy. Wow. Um, also, too, I want to say about SZA because uh, one of the Grammys that SZA won was for Snooze, which was... One of my favorite songs when when that album came out. You was um, jamming that out, man. Snooze is snooze is Not such jamming a jamming that out. What's the word? <laughs> man, you were jamming that out. <laughs> <laughs> but snooze is yeah, snooze is such a great I song. Mean, jamming out to that. Yeah, snooze is such a great song. Now I was talking to you about this song too because one of the credited writers slash producers for it is actually Leon Thomas. 
And for a lot of people that don't know, um, we have a son named August, and we named him after this movie that I love, that we both love. And it's a. I'm about to say that you loved. Yeah. We loved. Um, and it's a musical movie called August Rush, which actually Leon Thomas is in the movie, but Leon Thomas is in the movie as a kid. Um, and he's oh, playing wow. and he's playing the guitar and he's singing the Father Here oh, that I Am. I used to love that song too. I was about too. to say jam out too. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's Leon Thomas. So now, fast forward like twenty some odd years later, he just won his first Grammy for being a part of that song of of creating that song with SZA. So Good shout out to him. shout out to Leon Thomas. Paramore won. Paramore came back. They had an album uh this past year called This Is Why. They won a couple Grammys. Billie Eilish won a Grammy. Man, it was just, it, they, they just got a lot of those categories right. Um, Samara Joy, she won a, a jazz Grammy. Um, even Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is officially a Grammy winner. What? She won a Grammy for... What uh, she won a Grammy for? She uh, No, no, she won a Grammy for... Because they, they have a category for best audiobook, narration, or storytelling recording. Oh. Um, so she, she came out with her second book... Um, and I read both of them. Yeah, the light we carry, and so she got nominated for the audio version of the book. That's cool. Um, yeah, and so we also have Burna Boy. Burna Boy is the first um, African artist straight from Nigeria um, to actually perform on the Grammy stage, and that was a dope performance too because he performed his song on Top of the World, which is samples Brandy's Brandy's old song from Top of the World. So he perf- he performed that with Sir Twenty One. Savage. <laughs> um, before number twenty one Savage and uh and but like I said to nobody it was a surprise. Brandy actually came out on stage and shout out to Brandy, the, the aka the vocal bible, because I was having an argument with somebody with a couple people Not online. The vocal bible. That's her name. That's what that's what that's what that's what her nickname is. And you know who gave her that nickname? Whitney Houston. No, Whitney Houston gave her that nickname. I'm funny, huh? Yeah. And so, just a little side note. I got into an argument with some music people, a music community on Facebook. We were having a debate of who put these vocalists in order. And it was Beyonce, Brandy, Monica, and Rihanna. I have no idea why they had Rihanna in this lineup. Shout out to Rihanna. I love Rihanna, but I don't know why she was in that lineup. (laughs) But anyway, I, I said... If anybody's list doesn't have Brandy as number one, then we need to fight, right? And um, you should have asked me who ought to pick first before you said that, because you know I would have. Uh, let me see who's the list of people again. It was Brandy, Beyonce, Monica, and Rihanna, and who's the best? Put the vocalist in order. I would have said Monica. You think Monica is a better vocalist than Brandy and Beyonce? Look, <laughs> he's ready to fight me, y'all. I know. I'm just curious. Did you see how aggressively he <laughs> asked that question? Anyway, you know, I don't. You know, I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Anyway, Brandy is man. Brandy, when it comes to vocals, and like I said, she showed why her nickname was a vocal bible. Brandy got coined that nickname at the age of 15. She's been singing that good since the age of 15. She is now well into her 40s, hopped up on that stage, was hitting runs, vocal stacking, melodic stacking like nobody can. You know, she's one of the okay, she's one Brandy of the vocal girl. goats. And one of the last things that they got that was one of my favorite moments of the night, bruh, in the opening of the Grammys, Dua Lipa, she was performing one of her songs and was dancing on stage. I don't know why they cut to them, but they cut to the table where Jay-Z and Beyonce was at, 
And while Dua Lipa was dancing, Blue Ivy looked back at Beyonce like, what? What is going on? And then, like, Beyonce kind of, like, put her head down. Like, like, what is going on here? But anyway, that was those are some of my favorite moments of the night, and that's what they got right. So moving on to now my interlude section. Since you didn't watch this, um, you actually sent me something about this today. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to play this because I was going to talk about this tonight. So Jay-Z, he accepted uh, an award for the Dr. Dre Global Icon Award. This is a, one of the new Grammy Awards that they've made. It's pretty much an icon award. Um, they first gave it last year to actual Dr. Dre, so it's named after him. Um, but this year okay. they, gave it to J- they gave it to Jay-Z. And Jay-Z, had a, he had a very interesting speech. And since you didn't hear it, this is a very short speech yeah but i just want to trending yeah so i just want to play it for you just so you can hear exactly what he said oh, Lord. um you know kind of get your thoughts on it okay <laughs> i'm just saying we just we want y'all to get it right we love y'all we love y'all we love y'all we want y'all to get it right at least get it close to right and obviously it's subjective y'all don't gotta clap at everything obviously it's sub- obviously it's subjective because you know, it's music and it's opinion based, but you know, some things, you know, I don't want to embarrass this young lady, but she has more Grammys than everyone and never won album of the year. So even by your own metrics, that doesn't work. Think about that. The most Grammys never won album of the year. That doesn't work. You know, some of you, some of you gonna go home tonight and feel like you've been robbed. Some of you may get robbed. Some of you don't belong in the category. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that was it. No, when I get nervous, I tell the truth. Um, but outside of that, outside of that, you know, we got to keep showing up. And forget the Grammys for a second, just in life. As, I, as my daughter st- sits and stares at me nervous as I am. Um, um, just in life, you got to keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Forget the Grammys, you gotta keep showing up until, you, until they give you all those accolades you feel you deserve, until they call you chairman. Okay, so that was the video. So just from that little snippet, I wanted to get your take, like what did you think about that? Or what did you think about what he said? He's funny. He's very funny. He's definitely a comedian. And, you know, he had a message that he wanted to, the world to hear. I mean, he's uh-huh. also Jay-Z, so he, he didn't have to say it at the Grammys. He could literally probably just release a statement to the news, and it'll be everywhere. He could post that on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. So I don't necessarily think it was the the time and place, but I do think it's a message that needed to be heard, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think it is kind of weird to do it at the Grammys because then people are going to be thinking, is is they talking about me, you know? And then it's also kind of Kanye West-ish, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But more refined. So Kanye <laughs> West, you know, Kanye West was just, you know, he going to say it how well, he Kanye said West it. Was off, Kanye West was off that Henny. So he said it with a little. <laughs> he said it with a little more tact, but I know that people are still going to be bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to play that. Well, first off, Jay Z, like, bruh, he is really a great orator, and bruh, like a lot of people, he, he other than rapping, because he's one of the greatest lyricists of all time. The man is so smooth with talking. He even did a double entendre while while talking. 
and doing that speech where the part where he said, you know, some of you may get robbed or what? Or no, he said, you know, some of you may feel robbed. Then he said, some of you may get robbed. It's a dumb entendre because people may get robbed. Like the grant, the Grammy might go to somebody else, but also it's they in LA and there's like a unspoken thing. Like when the celebrities come to LA, that's when celebrities start getting robbed and stuff like that. So like, <laughs> I don't know. He's just a wizard with, with just, you know, talking. Um, but yeah, like I understood what he was talking about, and especially everybody is now like on the plane of like, oh, you know, when he's bringing up Beyonce and her, because Beyonce does have the record. She now has the record for the most Grammy wins of anybody. She has thirty two Grammys, um, and the next person that's I think close to her um, is who's the next person that's close to? Oh, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones is the next person that's close to her. Wow. Um, but yeah, 32 Grammys and she still got, she still got a ways to go. Like she going to keep on going, but I want to, I want to actually kind of bring up an unpopular opinion on what I think about that, because a lot of things came out about that, especially when it comes to like Taylor Swift and the number of, uh, album of the year awards that she's won. People hate Taylor Swift, <laughs> Yeah. But and, I want to... And people love her, but then other people just hate her so much. Yeah, but I want to go into, like, a little bit about Beyonce because, like, honestly, I, I understand what Jay-Z is talking about. And I feel that Beyonce... Beyonce is a special artist, but I think it gets to a point where sometimes people become a little bit delusional and think that like oh yeah she does every album that beyonce had she should have just won album of the year there was nobody better than her and that's really not the case to be quite honest i i think that beyonce i think that there's two albums of beyonce's that she definitely should have won when she was nominated but for other ones i think it was you know kind of fair game and i'll just quickly just kind of run through you know what i think so you know we had 2004 she released her first solo album which was dangerously in love great album or whatnot, but it didn't even get nominated for album of the year. And if it did, and if it would have got nominated for album of the year, Outcast won that year for Speaker Box and I Love Below. She wasn't winning that one. Then we had 2007, she released B Day. B Day was a pretty good album too, um, but it didn't get nominated for album of the year that year as well. And if it did get nominated for album of the year, it, there's no way it was going to lose, it was going to beat Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds or John Mayer's Continuum. But interesting enough, where the Robin comes in, that year, Dixie Chicks won Album of the Year. And I don't think that their album was better than those last two I just named, but the Dixie Chicks were kind of running off of, uh, this is their return, and the last thing that they had, like, they was attacking George Bush low-key. So it was kind of like a, I don't know. I feel like that one was given to them. But anyway... Then we go into 2010. This is where people are really mad. So in 2010, she came out with I Am Sasha Fierce. And we know that that album had Halo, If I Were a Boy, if, you know, if I Were a Boy. It had single ladies on it. So that's that album. That was be that was a great album. It was a pretty good album. And that one did get nominated for album of the year. But if that I one But that one lost to Taylor Swift. This was Taylor Swift's first win for album of the year and that album was her fearless album and i'm gonna tell you this this is my unpopular opinion taylor swift i absolutely deserved that album number one that fearless album a lot of people don't really understand and recognize like bruh 
that year, that was one of the fastest selling albums that year. That's that album that had Love Story on it. Pretty much, essentially, that is the album that made Taylor Swift become who Taylor Swift is today. That was her catapulting album. It had Love Story on there. It had You Belong to Me. It was breaking all type of records. And on top of that, from Taylor Swift's first album, Taylor Swift has always written all of her songs. Whereas compared to other artists like Beyonce, Beyonce had a majority of her songs and a lot of her hit songs are written by other people. Beyonce does, she puts input into a lot of her songs, but, but the majority of them are written by other people. So you have Taylor Swift here, not only writing her own songs, she's playing guitar on some of the songs too. Um, but I think that that was a, I think that that was a fair win to be quite honest. I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, I hope people don't come at me. Is that the one where Kanye West did his did, did his thing? Yeah, but it wasn't at the Grammys. Kanye West did that at the MTV Awards, oh, okay. and it was for a video. But essentially, same thing. Um, but then, so now we go to two thousand three. I mean, two thousand thirteen. Beyonce's album four. It didn't get nominated for album of the year. Matter of fact, it didn't even get nominated for um, R and B album of the year that year. Um, so you know, it she wasn't gonna win that one regardless. But then we go to 2015. Now, this this is Beyonce's self-titled album. This is the album that had Drunken Love and, you know, all those hits on there. Beyonce definitely should have won album of the year that year. Who won instead? Beck. You don't even know who Beck is, huh? I surely don't. <laughs> Beck is an, instru- is an instrumentalist uh, guy, but, like, l- completely no shade. Like, Beyonce had the best album that year, unfortunately. It was not better than Beck's. I mean, Beck's wasn't better than hers at all. Matter of fact, the only other person that really could have gave her competition within that category that didn't even get looked at was Ed Sheeran. This is when Ed Sheeran came out with uh, X, you know? And that had, darling, I will be loved. He didn't even win. And Beck sing it won. again for us. Man, you don't playing. need me to sing that to you. But yeah, I think that that's, I think A, that's the that's the first time Beyonce actually should have won. And then we had 2017 Lemonade. Now, this is where people got mad too. So Beyonce came on Lemonade and people just like, oh my God, Beyonce Lemonade. It's Lemonade, Lemonade. This uh, Lemonade album got, it got formation on it. It's I don't the know greatest any album. Songs from Lemonade. It, got form, it has formation on it. Never heard that. Okay, ladies, now let's get in formation. You've heard, you've heard the song before. I've never heard that oh song. Oh my gosh. That's but when she's talking a, about I'm Red also Lobster. Not a Beyonce. I'm also not a Beyonce like super fan girl. Okay, but anyway, so we had Lemonade, which is a phenomenal Beyonce album. I want to say that, but bruh, she was going up against Adele's 25 album. Do y'all understand what Adele's 25 album was? Number one, Adele's 25 album. Come on, it's Adele, bro. It's the fastest selling album ever, ever, and the it. Her album went Never diamond. Ever? Yeah, her her that Adele's twenty five album went diamond in eight months. Most people's albums take years to go diamond. And I'm talking about like oh, like for, for example, Fifty Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying album just went diamond last year. It came out in two thousand three. Adele's twenty five album went diamond in eight months. That's how fast the album was selling. That's the same album that had Hello. It had When We Were Young on there, Love in the Dark. You know what I mean? And like I said, again, on top of that, Adele writes her own music as well. She writes her own music. But like Lemonade was a great album. And I think that that was great competition that year. But for me, I I think Adele had the better. She had the better produced album. She had the better 
The album had better hits. And I think what actually kind of stifled Beyonce is that that was Jay-Z's experiment where when Lemonade first released, it was only available on title. So just like where you said, like, oh, I didn't even hear it because it wasn't available to everybody. You had to get a title subscription. Now, me... Now I've had to we turn down. Had title I had to turn down fifty million four times. No, that's that's Cat Williams joke. But yeah, I got a title. I got a title subscription just to listen to the album. I thought it was a phenomenal album. Like I said, I think it was one of Beyonce's best albums. It just wasn't beating Adele's album that year to me. Now we get to the last album, which is Beyonce's album last year, Renaissance. You, I don't think you fully heard that album either, huh? Mm, what was on it? Ren- oh, I like it. Had that little jazzy beat. Where they was hating on Drake, but they liked hers. Yeah, that <laughs> no, you gonna break my. I mean, you can't break my soul. Yeah. You won't break. Yeah, had that on. We had a bunch of other stuff on there. Like, Are you glad I said a jazzy beat. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a jazz. It wasn't a jazzy beat at all. It was more of like a. It's like world music. Yeah, if you, you know what I mean. Yeah, but anyway, um, so now that album got nominated for album of the year, and then it lost to Harry's House, which is Harry Styles' album. I definitely thought Beyonce should have won that I one. I really enjoyed Harry Styles' album. You ain't enjoying no Dango and Harry Styles' album. And I love Harry Styles. I like Harry Styles. But here's my here's the one caveat. How, Renaissance. How he gonna tell me I ain't enjoyed it? Give me two songs from who? I don't know any songs. From what does Harry Styles look like? I don't know what anybody <laughs> looks like. You, I'm like totally the wrong exactly. person. Exactly. But anyway, I think that Beyonce definitely should have won that one for Renaissance. And she if there was a highway robbery. It was definitely that one. It really, what really made me mad about that one is Harry Styles got up on that stage. It was, and that one actually had very good competition. That year, it was her, Harry Styles, Lizzo's special album, which was a good album as well, and Kendrick Lamar's um, um, uh, Miss Him Around the Big Steppers. So it was some tough competition in there. But I think overall, Beyonce's album was, it was a total movement. Bro, you had people dressing up as the Tin Men going to her her concerts at that oh, point yeah. in time like it was a whole total movement or whatnot so yeah she definitely got robbed for that one um for harry's house harry house harry's house has some good it has some good stuff on there it has some bops on there um like um Mbappe. yeah like it has some bops on there but it just wasn't better than than renaissance but anyway i'll say y'all have to say that um, I do get what jay-z was saying and i do you know i i feel them but there are some Beyonce didn't deserve to win every album of the year, but she definitely should have won a couple of those clear cut. And, you know, un, uh, I, I wouldn't agree with you where you're saying like, oh, I don't think that was the place to do that. I thought that that was the perfect place to do that, because even when you look at how they treated the some of the categories this year in the Grammys, like this was what, another year that they didn't televise any of the rap categories and they usually do that. Um, they, they didn't televise any of them. They didn't televise any of them. And guess what? And guess what? The highest selling genre of music has been for the past ten years. Rap, hip hop, hip hop oh. has been the highest selling genre. Well, it was rap. I mean, hip hop is rap, but hip hop has been the highest selling genre of all music genres for the past decade. And mm. you know what I mean? So it's just like, bro, like, what are you doing? I mean, granted, they had Killer Mike there. Like, normally, like, last year they televised it, but that's because Kendrick was there. Anytime Kendrick was there, they're going to really televise it because, you know, people tune in to see Kendrick. But anyway, um, just to round this out, now I want to get into just quickly what I feel they got wrong. And the okay. first thing, first thing when I feel they got wrong, bro, they had Travis Scott performing. And he performed Fiend 
I we I don't need to see Travis Scott performing live on TV. It was just a bunch of screaming and a bunch of lights going on. No, thank you. I I didn't need that. <laughs> I really didn't need that. All right. Then the next thing they got wrong is the best pop solo performance, bruh. They had Miley Cyrus win. Miley. They had Miley Cyrus's "Flowers" win over "Paint the Town" by Doja Cat. That Doja Cat song should have definitely won that. And if Doja Cat shouldn't have won that, I said it should have probably been Anti-Hero by Taylor Swift because that was a pretty good song too. But Miley Cyrus, I feel like that was just, I don't know what kind of weird service it was doing, um, but no. And what made it even more cringe, Miley Cyrus performed that song that night, right? And while she was performing it, she was walking around the stage and like people weren't singing along with her. Like they was bobbing their head. And then she looked in the crowd and said... Why aren't you guys singing? You know this song. I'm like, girl, if they ain't singing it, I don't think they know it. That's embarrassing. Like, girl, why would you say that? And she said it a couple times. I was like, oh, my God. This is why I shouldn't have won. All right. And then we had Record of the Year. Um, Miley Cyrus won for that one, too. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Miley Cyrus. Yeah. So the same, that same exact song won. And Record of the Year is different from Song of the Year. Like Song of the Year, Billie Eilish won. She was in this Record of the Year category too. Um, but since she won Song of the Year, I wouldn't say that she should have won it. But it definitely should have been somebody else. Like, again, either Anti-Hero by Taylor or On My Mama by Victoria Monet. Maybe even Kill Bill by SZA. But definitely not Miley Cyrus. I think that they got both of those wrong. These are Miley Cyrus's first Grammy win. So, I mean, kudos to her. But I think they got that totally wrong. Now, then, and then my last one, and this is the big one, was the album of the year. And this is what kind of got the discussion of the Beyonce versus Taylor Swift popping again. Because album of the year, Taylor Swift Midnight's won. And here's the thing. And I'm, this is going to be my last thing. Because I don't want to be just like those haters of people that just hate Taylor Swift. Because <laughs> unlike everybody else, I actually like Taylor Swift. Like, I think that Taylor Swift m- makes good music. And I don't think that she gets a fair shake because a lot of people just say, like, Taylor Swift, she don't, her music aren't isn't good. And it's a lot of people that have never listened to a Taylor Swift album. And I just think that that's just so, like, it's almost like the Oscars argument. When people, when somebody wins Best Picture and they be like, how did this film win over this film? You do that every year. And they, but, but, <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I, I do do that every year. But I watch them, I've seen a majority of the movies. Oh, what not? Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the most part, if I do say Remember something. Remember we said that about Slumdog Millionaire and then we loved the movie? Yes. Now, yeah, I was saying that. I was one. Because I, I was. I was like, how did this movie win? We watched that, bruh. I said, that boy, Dev Patel, he that's that's a movie star right there. But yeah, at, especially after that, though, I, yeah, every movie, like, you know me, I'm a, like I said, I'm a cinephile, so I'll be trying to watch these movies. But anyway, back to Taylor Swift. Um, I think they completely got this wrong. Like I said, Taylor Smith is very talented, and I think that she actually does have good albums. Contrary to popular belief, a lot of people think that she just be making bubblegum music or just can't make good music or something like that. I honestly think that she has good music, but I think that this Midnight albums, this isn't even her best. I don't even think this is her... This is probably her fifth in her discography, probably number five. I don't think that it should have won over Scissors S.O.S., um, because again, just like the Renaissance thing, Scissors SOS and Snooze and Kill Bill, those were moments and movements and it did a lot. And I think that the only reason Taylor Swift won is because in congruence, you, you know, running in congruency with the Renaissance tour, Taylor Swift had the Eras tour. 
and it was the biggest tour we've ever seen and she's riding off the high of that you know but the heiress tour is her going through pretty much her entire catalog and so it really doesn't count for this album like you know the hype that was behind that and i just think they just kind of gave it to her like she has anti-hero on, on that on that album anti-hero is a great song but bruh this ain't and y'all know this ain't one of taylor smith's for taylor swift's fans y'all know this ain't one of y'all favorite taylor swift albums like for me i think taylor swift's best album if we want to get into like the quintessential uh pop album uh 1989 is one of her best albums. Reputation is definitely one of her best albums. That's when she came out of that Kanye West shadow or whatnot. And then I say, like, if you really want to get into, like, deep country, big country, Red is her album. But my favorite Taylor Swift album is Folklore. When she came out with Folklore, that's a singer-songwriter album. I said, okay, she she does whatever she going to win for this year for that one, she deserves to win. Um, but I think they totally got it wrong on this one. And another thing, too, like, I hate that people continue to pit her and Beyonce against each other because it's really, I don't think that they're that comparable, especially when you think about Beyonce and they'd say, like, how could Taylor Swift win four album of the years and Beyonce has none or whatnot? Also, in comparison, you got to think Beyonce has been literally solo act for 20 years now. And in 20 years, she's only put out seven albums. Compared to Taylor Swift only making music for what I think it's been 15 years now, 15 years, and Taylor Swift has 10 albums, and she was recorded, re recorded four of those 10 albums. So, in total, she's recorded 14 albums in a sense, in a sense. But I don't think that this third win that she got is validated, and yeah, I think they totally got that wrong. But like I said, no hate on Taylor Swift, I think she's great, she makes great music, but. And anyway, that is my Grammy recap and my my wrap up. Um, go ahead and hit our comments, man. I want to know what you guys think about the Grammys, what you liked, what you didn't like. And also just go ahead and leave us a review um, for our podcast. Um, let us know if there's any topics that you guys want to talk about, anything that you haven't heard you'd like us to talk about. Um, yeah, just leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Um, so also make sure you check our description. Um, we have some links there, like a link to our children's book that you can check out and purchase. Um, we also have links to our like social profiles and, you know, our playlist, our music, uh, our song of the week, our TV show, our film of the week. So check those out as well. Um, but we just want to thank you guys for listening. We don't take for granted you lending your ear to our podcast because we know that there's a million other podcasts out there and you can listen to anyone but you're listening to us. So we thank you and we appreciate you for that. Um, but as always, we hope you guys have a successful week, a great week, great rest of the year. Um, and until next time, God bless.